What's good? I'm Chris from the Chris Collins Show Millennial Talk Show featuring Anson, set to bridge early 2000s emo rock with today's mainstream stratosphere, amassing millions of streams online, joins off the fret. More music, more music talk. What's good, listeners? Our guest joining us from Los Angeles, California is emo rock act Anson. This is off the fret. More music, more music talk. How's it going, Anson Lee? I'm great, man. Happy Thursday. I'm just hey, man. It, it's so good to be able to catch up with you after a year since you've joined us for a strike record segment on the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show. So, so what's new as you got a glass of wine in hand? Too many things, man. Too many things. Wow, it's been a year. That's that trips me out since the last time I uh, we did one of these. Thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of new music things, a lot of writing, uh, a lot of kind of forming and storming of some new ideas for this project and uh, taking life as it comes and trying to focus also on just being happy, which is a big and, needed and thing. Do you, do you feel like that's because of the pandemic keeping us in isolation that you feel like you've had these times to kind of look back on your career because you've been almost a decade in the game? Yeah, no, it's been it's been a long time, dude. Um, yeah, I think definitely, you know, for everybody, COVID was like this this apocalypse, and it made everybody have to take a moment and just be at home, reprioritize things, figure out their lives a little bit more. And for me, I was grateful for the time. A lot of things changed, uh, but a lot of things haven't as well. And uh, I'll I'll say this: it's been a year of clarity, so I'm very grateful for that. Absolutely. And I know we'll definitely be uh, revisiting where you are in current times, but I want to talk about your humble beginnings because from an early age, who inspired you to create music? Ooh, man, who inspired me? I mean, I grew up, man, I grew, I grew up in the early, you know, 2000s emo rock stuff. So like the very first albums I picked up were like Yellow Card and senses fail and hawthorne heights and that really kind of got me into the music that i do at the moment um going way way back you know i started the first music i listened to was like broadway music so like oh really like, and what were some of those broadway Fantasy. tunes that you're into uh like fan of the opera i was like a huge fan of that um you know west side story a lot of the old stuff like brigadoon and uh uh singing in the rain i mean the, the list goes on but basically those old school like show tunes and then uh you know as the years went on i discovered rock music and i just haven't left that since so yeah and because my another... yeah because my mind started fluttering when you started talking about broadway tunes and i could i could definitely see you being the leading man in rock of ages have you considered <laughs> if that opportunity ever arose Maybe. I mean, honestly, Broadway is something I have some friends who have been pursuing Broadway in New York for a while. And they're like, you know, they're on Broadway and stuff. And I've, I've thought of it like it's a it's an interesting concept. It's a lot. It's 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 a it's a grind, you know, like I'm like touring where you have, you know, maybe one show a day. Some of them do two shows a day, Yeah. Um, the matinee and the evening. And then it's, you know, it's like seven days a week. But maybe, you know, like I like the concept because uh I've never really tried doing the whole script thing, the whole, you mm. know, it, you know, the dialogue you have to, it's not just about the singing, it's the acting, it's That's the, dance, right. the choreography. And I guess I'm like jumping up and down and rocking out on stage, but the whole, <laughs> you know, the whole like. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, the energy world. that you bring to a live performance could definitely make rock of ages. And just on the top of my dome, I think about rock acts like 
Ghost. I don't know if you're ever familiar with them, but they have spoken out in the past about how they felt like their music could definitely work for Broadway. Have you considered yeah. bringing that to the stage? Because we've seen Green Day do it before, but not necessarily Billy Joe Armstrong as the lead. Other people are, you know, basically acting for him. But could we possibly see an Anson <laughs> album inspired by Broadway? I would say it's not out of the question, but it's definitely not what I'm focusing on at the moment. But who knows? You know, like it's a long life. I've, like you said, I've been in the game for a while. There's, it's been ten years. There's or more, probably even more, and and it would probably be even more years. So you know, who knows? Yeah, and I wanted to uh, reference uh, a band name. I was curious whether you're familiar with them. Um, Pacific versus At- Atlantic. Oh, Atlantic meets Pacific. Oh, yeah. Atlantic meets Pacific. Oh, did I? Bu- I just dude. butchered it. Damn it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, dude. That takes me back to my MySpace, like middle school, high school days. Yeah, I had a project with a uh, this drummer uh, back in the day. You know, it was just me and him, and he he's originally from LA. I'm from New York, so it, we were like, okay, Atlantic meets Pacific. Let's let's go. Yeah, uh, and the reason I brought that up, Anson, is because after a handful of you know failed bands and solo projects throughout high school and college, you, you decided to rep your name front and center, bringing in an ensemble of musicians behind you. And it's my understanding it that's because when your drummer friend decided to basically move on from making music, you just weren't necessarily uh, clicking heads with other cats. So you felt like it was time to move on and start repping yourself. Am I kind of getting that the mindset? Yeah, no. Yeah, dude, honestly, Anson's beginnings was a bit of a shit show. (laughs) And Um, how so? (laughs) So, you know, I tried for many years before starting Anson to find, you know, band members and things weren't working. Like internally, actually, before like any music was released for Anson, I probably had three different rotations of like musicians I was trying to make things work with. And uh, the cool thing is that that very first EP, it was all me essentially. You know, I had, I, I wrote all the parts. I had people, uh, uh, really dope musicians play the parts, you know, on my behalf. Uh, I, I play guitar, but like the point, and I said, yeah. but, like, the, but like in terms of like the actual like parts and arrangements, it was largely me. Um, but the funny thing is then I try, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna do a solo, call it Anson. And then I ran into two musicians, uh, Zach and George, who were like, at least initially with Anson were the three piece that I presented because we were doing music videos uh, and I hired these musicians. I was like, do you guys want to just be in the back and like, you know, just be musicians in these music videos? And they were like, yeah, sure. So we did that. And then they really reviving the music. And I was like, okay, fuck it. Let's get this, give us a go. Let's see. Right. yeah, that's kind of wild how it could sometimes be by accidental. And then you yeah. grow this kind of crazy relationship with uh, peers who have the same love and admiration for the music that you grew up listening to. Yeah, which I would like to think. But then that was a huge misstep within itself, because unfortunately, the passion from from their side kind of faltered. And then ever since it's been this start stop of finding musicians to be a part of this thing, try to get them interested in it. Well, I mean, hey, listen, I mean, you think about people like Ronnie Radke and Fallen in Reverse. I mean, he's definitely gone through his, you know, friends and musicians and, you know, and they still are great friends, even, you know, because of the split. I mean, it's it's just because, you know, the passion tends to make its fold. And the kind of reason I was getting at this, because I was reading online about a year before your first solo EP, you were constantly told that you sucked at singing throughout high school and middle school years. And how did you grow out of that shell? 
you just got to not listen to people, man. You know, like uh, people's opinions, especially, I mean, I went to a music talented art, talent and arts, you know, high school, you know, arguably one of the best in the United States. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Performing Arts that you attended, Anson Lee. Yeah, we just call it LaGuardia or... or <laughs> so but, but, you're like, man, yeah, you're, you're just you're doing the long video. form. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's totally insane. I mean, people like Al Pacino have been there, Nicki Minaj. I, I saw that Alec Ball. I mean, there are tons of the greats there, but uh, I was reading online that you didn't necessarily attend that school for the music program. So what were you doing? Playing the clarinet? What's going on? No, were you playing no, on acting? No. <laughs> I, I was there for the music program. So oh, I okay. Yeah, I was a I was a vocal major and an instrumental major. So um, oh. I was doing both. So that's actually unique about me. I, you know, in that school, you're not really allowed to be a double major. Um, oh, so, okay. Yeah, so it was kind of a very special circumstance for me to be both. Um, so yeah, I was doing uh, choir and, and like classical voice and then as well as songwriting and then tenor saxophone and guitar. So just a huge... Saxophone. Okay. Maybe will we hear a little bit of sax from you in the future when it comes to Anson? I've thought about it. You know, I have a saxophone and I, you know, it's just, it's chilling in my closet. I whipped it out the other day and like, I love the sound of it and I would love to incorporate it in some form of way. Um, yeah. It, every time I've tried to incorporate it in like rock music, it always sounds too eighties. So I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> so you're trying to find that, that, that balance. I yeah. like that. But what I was kind of reading is like, you know, you used to take advantage of your lunch breaks in at that school and you would actually meet up with some of your favorite music teachers who would actually encourage you to explore, you know, your vocal tones and your vocal patterns. So yeah. what was that experience like? Yeah, no, I'll admit, like, high school, I was maybe not the best vocalist. It kind of clicked after high school. Um, but, you know, they were they needed tenor, tenor voices. And, um, I mean, I've gotten better as the years have gone. I mean, it, it just is what it is with growing. But uh, at the time, you know, I was still trying to figure out, especially from a choral perspective, how to fit in. Because I was, like, belting all the time rock music, which is not necessarily sure. <laughs> in choir, you know, uh, setting. So um, I was really fortunate to have... Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Marwa and then uh, Miss Ballard, who were vo vocal choral teachers there um, on their lunch breaks and my lunch breaks, you know, helped me and teach me um, how to better use my voice. And I'm still very grateful for that. It was honestly um, truly inspiring and also very useful. And when you found your voice, was it by nature or was it by accident? I know a lot of us like to think that we could sing in the shower. You know, when you get that kind of nice moist that's in the air, you kind of feel like you could scream, you could sing, you could belt out and shout into the into your, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, into the yeah. shower head. So how did that come to be? You know, that's a funny thing. You know, I, you know, for many years, I saw multiple different vocal coaches. I went to school, you know, like as we we're talking, like, you know, it was taught different techniques. But the funny thing is, is when I stopped thinking about that stuff, it all started to click. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I stopped doing vocal lessons for a bit. And, you know, I kind of stopped actually using my voice, like, like what is called like good technique. And then it kind of just randomly clicked where I found this, this really good mixed voice technique that works for me, for my tone. And, um, I've been using since it's been very consistent for me. Um, and that's a whole thing within self. We're going to talk about techniques and stuff, but the one thing I I've learned from that is just being natural. Like it's good to have those techniques in the back of your head. It's good to know where to put things in the mask. It's good to have those for reference. But when you think about it too much, you kind of like, uh, 
I don't know, entangle yourself with all these different things that you have to watch out for posture, breathing, support, you know, where you're putting everything resonance. And it's just, uh, you just gotta let go and just kind of feel from the heart what's going to happen. And that is honestly what really happened, what really clicked for me. Yeah, you don't want to become static. Yeah, you know, you're basically going to become like every other artist. But I, I think that's actually a great uh, life lesson for everybody that's tuning in that wants to be a pursuing artist like Ants. And that don't be like the rest of the herd. You branch out. I mean, <laughs> it's always good to learn those good techniques. But you hear it first from Anson Lee. I think that's a great message to send. And we're about to play your music video and the title of your EP to be or nothing at all, which has me pondering. And I'm sure you've been asked this question numerous times, but I need to know personally. Uh, is there any correlation with William Shakespeare and that title <laughs> of the EP? <laughs> a, little, a little, like for me, you know, I've always been an all or nothing kind of guy, you know, like to, and with Anson, I was the, the reason why I titled it that was because, and that song was because uh, the song is about struggle and me, you know, really wanting to pursue this as you know full-time and also pursue music in general and it's always been this kind of like i almost feel like uh what's his name sisyphus who's like the guy like with the rock pushing the rock up the, the mountain <laughs> um in greek mythology so like you know it just it, it's been a, a burden of love but uh you know i keep doing it because i love it and um i'm all in so that's I love of- that, man, because yeah. I know it's been a couple of years since the release of your first EP, where it was inspired by your self-doubt and the constant search for self-identity. And have you found it now or has the pandemic got you soul searching? You know, the funny thing is, I think that the pandemic really helped with that. That is actually something that I think that I have a lot more clarity on what my identity is now. Um, and now it's just been a lot of exploring that and really diving into it. So I'm really excited for what's to come. Well, expound on that. What have you found during the pandemic? I don't want to give away too much because there's a lot <laughs> that's going to be distilled pretty soon. And, but um, well, when you say that, do you mean by uh, a new record that's in the works? Yeah, um, there's a new record in the work. I mean, we could talk about album too, all, all you want um, in terms of the process, because <laughs> It's been it's been quite something because I started the process maybe a year uh, and a half ago now. OK, um, of trying and I'm assuming to... you've had the luxury to be able to kind of sit on that new music because of the delays of the pandemic. Am I correct? Yeah, or... I'll, I'll put it to you this way. There are more songs that I have demoed out than songs that are currently out. Oh, that's uh, fun. Yeah, like by twice the amount, I would say. So, uh, you know, it's it's a luxury, I guess you could say, but I'm very eager to finally release something that I truly feel stands for the identity of what I, I am because uh, there's just been so many, you know, during that experiential time of, you know, the pandemic, there's been in a lot of things I've tried and there are all some great songs and maybe it'll come out eventually, but, um, you know, it was really tr- hard to find and identify, okay, what is Anson? What is this next record going to be about? Hey, well, off the front listeners, definitely keep a lookout for Anson's new music because you're hearing it here first. And I know this EP, as you stated, it was a testament to the fact that you can't live your whole life stuck at the crossroads. So for anybody that's coming out of this pandemic, as, as I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, hey, go back to college. Hey, get back on your two feet. Go get a job. You know, that are kind of pondering what they're going to do in life. What is that message that you want to say to the off the fret listener? Life is short. When you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about any of that. You're going to be thinking (laughs) about, you know, the time you spent with your family and your friends. You're going to think about what you've accomplished in this world 
And if that's your nine to five job, that's great. You know, that means that you found your calling. But if it's not that, and if it's art or a, a different walk of life that doesn't necessarily fit in the colors of what, you know, the typical society is, that's okay. You know, be, you know, pursue that. That's what life is supposed to be, at least in my opinion. I mean, honestly, who am I to know what life is supposed to be? No, <laughs> I, I think you pretty much hit it on the nail. I mean, I was sort of thinking, you know, when you're living it up in your 20s, for example, millennials, that's the time to kind of explore and fail nine out of the 13 times, right? I mean, you need to kind of figure out what you want to do in life. And let's let the music speak for itself, because I know Anson's music is what's good. So let's showcase to the listening audience Anson's music video to be or nothing at all live on Off the Fret.
his Anson's music video to be or nothing at all. And you can check that out on his EP. That's literally titled to be or nothing at all. And Anson, uh, I've never known anyone with the passion that you have for making music because you packed up your bags with your tour manager, leaving the state of New York with your guitar in hand for Los Angeles. And why was it time to leave the big apple for Tinseltown? For Tinseltown. Um, <laughs> I saw the exodus, man. Uh, there was this huge mass exodus um, a couple of years back with all the people from the industry moving to LA. Um, and I just, I was just like, okay, this, if all my connections in this network and, uh, you know, at the labels and everywhere is all going to LA, there clearly there's a reason why. Um, yeah, New York City, I feel like hasn't been the same since, um, mm. which is uh, funny. But uh, but what also is funny now in LA, I'm seeing this migration of people moving to Nashville. And I was, you know, that's so crazy that you said that. That's been a, a heavily explored topic that we've been having in the year of 2022 on the Chris Collins show. That like Nashville is now becoming like this new mecca for music when originally it was always seen for country music. But are, are you now seeing that if you want to make it big as an up and coming artist, you kind of have to move with the tides? Yeah, I mean, I mean. If you're up and coming, yes. If you're a little bit more established, not necessarily. Um, but I do believe that new and good music can come from anywhere, especially with the internet these days. You know, as long as you're doing what you need to do, you know, you can be in the Netherlands, you can be in Iceland, you can be in Poland, you can be anywhere in Asia and still break, which is awesome. But uh, from a United States perspective, I have noticed that a lot of producers, a lot of writers, um, a, a lot of more of the creative side of the industry is moving now to Nashville, um, Austin, and Vegas. Um, and, you know, I think it also comes down to, you know, LA is expensive, just, you know, yeah. from living expenses, you know, real estate expenses. It just is what it is, um, you know, highest taxes uh, in the United States. So, uh, you know, I, th I think that that's what music is looking for. They're always looking for a place where they can foster creativity, but also have it be affordable. Well, obviously, the cost of living in Los Angeles sucks, and it definitely needs to change. But what are some of those perks that you received when you came from the Big Apple to Tinseltown? The perks? Um, way better Mexican food. I didn't even know that. <laughs> so it's the food. Thing. Food can you set know, the tone for an artist. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We really, you know, it's really a thing. You know, like, uh, you know, I would say New York City has more amazing, like, uh, Puerto Rican food or Dominican food. Uh, Mexican wasn't really a thing for the most part, at least outside of like Chipotle and some other small little places uh, for Mexican food and um, nature. I would say, you know, New York City, you have these city blocks are tight. Uh, everyone's living on top of each other. You have the subway and it's, it's very condensed. But, you know, L.A. is a much bigger city. Um, you have room to breathe. This, the trees that are planted are not the same tree on every single block. You know, you have some, <laughs> yeah. and you know, you have the mountains, the, the ocean, um, and you know, three out, you know, three hours in any distance, you could be either in the mountains with snow or you could be at the beach. Um, and that's why I truly love it. The variety here is a lot better. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that definitely in the concrete jungle, but go on. You're about to say something. Oh yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say like, you know, one thing I also appreciate about it is, is, um, Everyone who is here from at least a music perspective is really trying to do their thing. And it's really cool to see that, you know, the, the hustle, um, you know, it's something I really respect to the peers that I, I know in my community. And, um, 
I guess yeah, community in general. It's it's a little. It, I would say Nashville has a better community, but it's cool to see what what's out here too. Well, I know that you're definitely going to grow a fan base in Nashville one of these days. Oh, well, you already have, but it's going to expound even more. And uh, Anson, I did kind of want to reference this with you because uh, does this ring a bell with you? Uh, guitar on a beach or only one? Only one. Oh, yeah. That's a song I wrote a million years ago. Wow. You're going, deep, <laughs> you're going for the deep cuts. So, uh, and the reason I'm bringing that up is it's my understanding that when you first were pursuing music, you you saw a commercial that aired on TV of a man playing a guitar and you asked your dad if you can have that same instrument. And that's how you picked up a guitar. Am I correct? That is on true. That? No, that is true. Yeah, no, uh, I was five. <laughs> so like way, way back. Uh, but, yeah, no, I saw some guy playing guitar and on a on a commercial and that would really sparked my interest and I got a guitar and then I went to a uh, guitar club at the local YMCA and, uh, and you know, from the after school program. And that's how I first started uh, learning guitar. And the reason I bring that up is, is because I always find it fascinating to explore an artist and how they first got into their songwriting process. And when I was reading about you online, uh, there was a, there was an article that you kept stating that, you know, you started writing quote, simple songs in fourth grade and what do you mean by simple songs were those power chords or you learning your basic bar chords i mean talk to me simple well the very first songs i wrote like ever ever were note based on the guitar so more like composition instrumental pieces okay and then, and then from there what i would do is i would take songs that already existed like an eminem song or something and i would rewrite the lyrics to my own lyrics so that's kind of like the two ways it started for me as a child. So, uh, but then as time grew, you know, I started learning chords and then I started writing songs with chords in them. Um, I, is I, that a, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but is that a common practice that a lot of up and coming artists learn? Because we were talking to Stephen Blake from Animal Son in our last Off the Fret episode, and he had a similar tactic that you're doing where he would actually look up the top three billboard 200 songs and oh, reword nice. them completely and it's like <laughs> what you were just saying you used to do that with m&ms without me by replacing all the lyrics with your own and i guess to make this different a little bit uh from what i asked with stephen blake why rap songs instead of rock and roll songs it was easier i don't know like that's actually a great question i think that you know rap has always been one of the most popular genres in our country and i think that growing up it was very wordy and the you know especially things like eminem and, and other rap artists um it was just a lot to you know it's more 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 um i would say more meat to play with so i think that's why i gravitated trying to do that but um i also tried doing it with rock songs too uh but i think that also rap also has a tendency to be very tight when it rhymes you know like the the rhyme schemes are very on the nose and i think that that as a as a child you know that was it was easier for me to change the words of of those songs than it was a challenge maybe like something from like nirvana right and i know like the next track that we're about to be playing is Haley. and i was reading online that you know obviously this is a song where you got love drunk over a woman and you were saying to multiple outlets that like no guys i didn't literally call her out by her name Haley is not the real name of the girl that i once dated and you said that that is because it rhymed better 
when you were coming up with the song. Do you, uh, is because of rap songs and how much they rhyme with their lyrical content, have you noticed with your music that you've been able to kind of have that accessibility when it comes to your songwriting where you feel like you're a little bit more comfortable when it comes to rock and roll writing? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. So I, I grew up really ad, uh, admiring people like uh, Max Martin and Sam Hollander and Dr. Luke. Um, and they, I've always really sub you know, how they do their writing structures, you know, these big pop tunes. Why are they so popular? And uh, a lot of that does have to do with the rhyme schemes and how they introduce things in arrangements and compositions. So like, I've always de liked to deconstruct that. And I would say that I definitely am heavily influenced by um, those songwriters, like Sam Hollander's a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, he influenced greatly the emo rock world. And uh, it's really cool to at least attempt to do my kind of take on that and making sure that there's a bit of a formula. But at the same time, you know, I've been trying to grow as an artist and become a little bit more mature with my songwriting. Um, so some of that's definitely is prevalent, especially with the new music, but I'm trying to also, you know, uh, not necessarily rhyme everything like Haley and baby together. So. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Leave it a little too cliche, but there's a quote from you online talking about your songwriting process, Anson, that reads quote for a smaller room. I write sadder songs and in a bigger room, I write popular songs. And it also depends on how well lit, they are. And I loved that you said this because I was thinking about a, a recent clip that was circulating on the Howard Stern show when he was interviewing Pitbull. And a lot of Pitbull's famous tracks are not recorded in a studio, believe it or not. And wow. have you thought about doing that when it comes to your music? Yeah, no, we're a product of our environments, especially when you're writing and such. I mean, I've been really gracious to be recording where I am for this next record, um, which we can go into a little bit in a bit. But, uh, you know, yes, I, I would love to explore different kinds of environments and atmospheres to record. Um, but from a writing perspective, environment's huge. It definitely determines almost everything and sets the mood for what I'm writing. I've been even finding for this new album uh, different colors in my studio. Like mm. I have LED lights and I change them. Um, make a huge difference when I'm writing, uh, being in my living room with like, you know, the shades open and having light being drawn in makes a huge difference. The size of the room, it's, it's interesting, but uh, you know, you can only, it's not like I have like a room that's like 60 feet tall, Sure. To, you know, <laughs> I would love to explore that too. But um, yeah, uh, generally for me, it's, I like writing in rooms with taller ceilings and I don't like writing outside but who knows maybe I'll and write do you outside. like writing music with people because I do know artists you know like that do become solo and do gather an ensemble of musicians behind them do feel like I gotta have my moment by myself even when we're in the studio together and how do, how do you see yourself with the second LP making new music so this new album, I wrote all myself for the most part. Um, I've been really gracious. I've been working with this guy, Charlie uh, Preston, who was an awesome producer um, and songwriter. Um, and he's been, you know, I, I have tried collaborating with artists many different times on my music uh, from a songwriting perspective. And it's been quite hard to to find someone I mesh with. There is one song I, I, I wrote with, um, uh, yeah, like I have, I have like a handful of songwriters that when I write, yeah. And then most of the time it doesn't. So it's, I latch onto those people a lot. And then uh, a lot of times I write the full song and then I have people, what I like to call like editors, that like, clean it up. And that's something like that happens quite often. That's why Charlie's great. He's been able to really help me uh, 
essentially like, you know, I write the song and then he cleans it up essentially. See, I think that's cool that you're speaking on uh, multiple songwriters because I know that, that there's been this weird like uh, Aurora that's been happening online where like people will talk down on artists who use songwriters with their music. Like for example, Beyonce, they oh, yeah, clowned her for Alien Superstar for having over like 20 plus songwriters. And it seems like everybody, it doesn't matter what genre you're in, has a songwriting aid, I guess you could say alongside with them and what are the benefits to having someone overlook your work before it's released to the public well i'll say this i feel like that this has happened throughout music as a you know all of musical history it just hasn't been privately uh spotlighted you know like uh you know producers for a long time were always diving into people's work of songwriting on albums to albums but they weren't being given the credit um, and I feel mm, yeah. like that's something that needed to change. And I'm very happy that it's changed. You know, maybe 20 songwriters is a little bit overkill, but I've been very yeah. <laughs> great, great, grateful. And I always credit the producers I work with because the pro the producer does quite a lot of the work and they have a lot of responsibility to take the songs and make them something that is fully, not only encompassing of you, but could be a little bit more than what you are. Um, with their own take and so you know i think that the benefit is one it's the synergy of making something that's not necessarily entirely you but something with you two combined of flavors to make something great um and then at the same time too just having someone look over your shoulder reading the things that you're doing the melodies that you're making and telling you you know what maybe you know like they have like a bit of an outside perspective you know they're looking at right like a fly on um, the wall <laughs> yeah like you know like maybe that's too on the nose or or maybe that is just a little like, you know, that could be a little bit cleaner or better. You know, like I, you know, as a songwriter and an artist, you get in your head a lot. So it's cool to have an outside feedback person to just be like, okay, is this working or not? That's a beautiful thing to have that kind of connection. I'm so glad you uh, clarified on that stance because I don't know why it's been so ugly to even yeah. have your favorite artists even be collaborating with another songwriter. I just think it's so silly. But Anson, we're about to play the lead single to your EP, To Be or Nothing at All, where your track Haley has amassed over millions of uh, streams online. I think that's totally insane. So congrats, my man. It's really, really catchy. And I have to kind of tease you a little bit because, you know, when you were first in the dating scene as my dad puts it were you thinking with your little head or were you thinking with your big head when you got into a relationship with the so-called Haley oh man I'll this person was probably <laughs> within the big I would say the biggest impact on me from a sexual nature so uh I would say I would say both uh, but I would say the heart, the heart <laughs> can't be both. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, you I mean, think with your little head and your big head, it sounds like the little head. This is, this is high school. So you, you take from that. Right, right, want, right. You know, like, but, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's all no. good. I mean, we've all been love drunk. And when you wrote about Haley, uh, you know, I, you know, when I spoke with you a year ago, my man, I, I, clearly you're not in that phase anymore, because when I spoke with you, it sounded like you were in a great place. And have you fixed your ways or has nothing changed? I fixed my ways. I, I, if, if not totally fixed in the process of being fixed, I would say, you know, I'm, 
very blessed. You know, I have a, an amazing girlfriend who, you know, we've been together now for over three years, about to be four years. Uh, we live together and, you know, things are great. So, you know, I'm very blessed. And uh, yeah, no, definitely high school Anson is not around anymore. <laughs> right, right. Those days uh, are gone. Like, <laughs> so, but I love that. I love the honesty, my friend. It just had to poke a little bit of fun with you. But let's no show the listening audience what's good by playing Anson's music video, Haley live on Off The Fret. Can he be quiet for a little longer? I need to get my head straight. Now all is screaming and it's fighting. It's not gonna solve anything. Now I swear I'm sorry, but you don't give it down. No, you don't give it down. You hold your hands to your face I can't believe we got this way Cause yesterday was perfect And you know I love you But I guess the season's changed And I'm searching through my mind To find the right words to say To make you wanna stay Okay. 
was Anson's music video, Haley, live on Off the Fret. And Anson, you have spoken up about the lack of diversity in the emo rock scene and how there are very few Asian Americans in the rock industry as a whole. And I just saw recently that you were on uh, playing a show in L.A. recently with Carrie the Day. I could think of the vocalist Christopher, and you guys were on the same lineup. And I kept thinking, yeah, that is so true. I don't see as many Asian American vocalists uh, reaching the big stage when it comes to this rock industry as a whole so how do we break down those barriers where the music industry generalizes and splits people of color into stereotypes you tell me man i'm still frustrated with this it's something that you know i'm like where are you guys at i think it, it has to do with our culture and society i you know asian culture doesn't necessarily look that prominently on musicians so i'll, I'll give it that but at the same time i really do feel the emo rock scene has been very unwelcoming um, it's been, I constantly felt like the black sheep and it's cool to see some inclusion starting to happen. And especially with, uh, you know, some, I would say black artists, um, and, you know, uh, I mean, there have been some Latin rock bands that have been kind of coming out of the woodwork too, but Asian Americans or Asians in general in the emo rock scene outside of one, okay, rock and, uh, Hubastank, I have no idea where you are. <laughs> you know, so like, right, you know, right. And it's, I'm laughing because it's so sadly true. And have you ever thought about how you could reshape the emo rock scene with your culture? I would love to do that. Um, you know, the, the problem is, is that it's all about packaging these days and how things are seen. And unfortunately, it's a very much, you know, the emo rock scene is very much a, a white male, you know, fully encompassed market and you know i think that until the gatekeepers are open to letting this happen i don't think it's gonna happen do you uh, think uh radio stations play a factor in this because i know rolling stone recently dropped an investigative report where some of your major uh, radio stations were being held hostage to record labels to be like hey for example put that panic of the disco single back on track but we just played it like an hour ago they're like no you keep it spinning because we need to amplify it high on the billboard charts like where's the room to find those new indie artists today do you think it starts with radio stations or do you think it starts with the record labels finding those individuals that are already at the forefront today i think it's you know like you know radio and payola we're not going to get into that's a whole conversation within itself but like i don't think radio really has the power it used to have when it comes to breaking things i think it mm. really comes now down to um you know spotify and the labels um and there are a lot of great artists out there i would say that asian like asian americans um we're few and far between, but there are some really great ones that are doing good work. Um, it's just about having them be amplified, like uh, not to toot my own horn, but myself. Um, you know, it's just, it's been hard. And, you know, I've seen this time and time again in the industry, you know, like one of my hardest moments growing up was uh, there was this amazing uh, Hawaiian girl. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the proper term for Hawaiian people are, but- uh, okay. Oh, I guess Hawaiian Island, Pacific Islander, excuse Pacific me. Pacific Islander, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, right. word, okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, you wake up, I even had a yeah. brain fart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, but she is amazing, and she was supposed to be the next Britney Spears, and uh, it was back when I was doing my high school days of things, and mm. uh, and and uh, this management company I was signed to, uh, you know, they had like Red One, and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Kelly Clarkson, and all these people. Okay. And, and she was signed to them, too, and she was amazing. Amazing dancer, amazing singer, 
incredible, absolutely incredible. And I, you know, I was listening behind closed doors, you know, them talking about her, these label ARs, and they basically said that no one's going to follow a non-white Britney Spears. So wow. it's just, you know, it's a hard world that we live in. And um, I, like I mentioned, I, until the gatekeepers are willing to let that inclusion and that diversity happen, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, and- I think that's a very real thing that you're saying, because even when I first started the Chris Collins show, for example, I mean, Marissa Pitts and I, my co-host, we both understood that people want to put a voice to that face. And people are judging you by your image and not the musical quality. I mean, that just sounds insane, you know? Yeah, no, it really trips me out. I mean, music has not, in my opinion, music has not been about the music for a long time now. And that's something that as much as I want to change it, I know that it's not going to change, but I'm going to keep holding the torch and doing what I'm doing because I have certain beliefs and I have a, I have a, I have a certain, I don't know, things that are true to my core of value. Um, that I don't plan on changing anytime soon. And I just hope that the world hears my truth and there's a community for that because that's what the world, you know, the world has a community for everything. And I'm just hoping, I'm not doing this for fame. I'm not doing this for success. I'm doing it because I truly love the art and the craft and where that leads me, we'll find out. But, um, you know, we, this needs to change. And I just hope that people, you know yeah take it seriously yeah you vote with your dollar people who are listening right right and i think this is actually a great segue into what i was about to bring up with you right now anson because uh you know you said music hasn't been music recently and i was reading online that you described anson as quote offering a bold blend of catchy choruses and deep lyrical content to bring a refreshing sound to an age genre with hopes to rekindle the love of emo rock to fans who have strayed away and you sound a bit like gene simmons here i'm not gonna lie so i'll let you have the floor what do you mean by aged genre Ooh, we're getting we're getting wordy um <laughs> i mean yeah i don't want to sound gene simmons man but like you know <laughs> uh, you're like man you just broke my heart <laughs> no no you know you know emo music has moved away and, and rock music in general is, it's moved away from the vfw halls and now we're at, we're now people are playing stadiums some people are playing you know pretty big shows these days sounds so like you're talking about people like mgk do you feel like people like mgk are kind of like not making the emo rock scene what it used to be. I mean, where are those $20, $40 tickets, you know, where you well, should be able to see your favorite emo rock act? <laughs> I have a respect for MGK for the sole fact of, well, I don't necessarily listen to his music. I find that what he's doing to push the algorithm and what favors of, you know, consumption of, of today of, of listeners, it's very smart that what he's doing, he's constantly pushing on music constantly. Um, and that's something, you know, I'm actually thinking about doing myself about pushing music, but you know, the quality needs to be there. Um, do I think he's pushing the envelope of pop punk music? No. Uh, but do I respect what he's doing and think that he is entertaining people? Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's what I think a lot of musicians are looking for today. Um, it's not really so what's to- making it an aged genre. Is it the cookie cutter style of like, Hey, let's have our intro or verse or pre-verse and then a chorus. And then after the second course, we get a little mini breakdown and then back to the course. Is that what you're talking about with age genre? Everything's so predictable with musical it's arrangement. It's both. I mean, I just feel like the story is kind of getting old. You know, you got these you know, young rock musicians who are trying to, you know, like just sex, drugs and rock and roll, which is cool, but there's also yeah. still a lot more culture to be shared. I'm, I'm tired of dumbing down lyrics, you know, like who, 
like everybody listens and, and reads on a sixth grade, five, fifth grade level <laughs> these days, you know, whatever happened to the beauty of the English language. You know, I think so people like to mimic Blink-182 sometimes a little bit too much. Do you feel like some of these up-and-coming bands do that? Well, I mean, Blink-182... I was, mean, don't get me so, wrong. I mean, they're super iconic. I love Blink-182. But, like, doesn't that get old after a while? Yeah, exactly. No, that's what I'm trying to say. You know, when I talk about an age genre, I guess that means it's aged ideas. You know, it's a very... This, this genre of music has existed now for decades. And it's... And there's a, cool to see the retakes of it and people fine-tuning it and doing what I like to call the fast food version of things these days, you know, but hey, whatever. And when you say like, fast food version, explain yourself. What do you mean? Are you talking about where uh, artists nowadays are starting to MIDI their drums? <laughs> are you? I mean, yeah. I mean, a mixture of that, but it's just, it's just the quality. I mean, the, the quality of the lyricism, the quality of the melodies, the quality, like I get it. There's only so many chords and so many notes in Western music, but at the same time though, there's so many different stories we can tell. There's so much more depth we can attempt. Um, but yeah, to the quality of like mini drums and such, I mean, yeah, that's a thing too, but I, I really think it's more about what are you trying to leave on this planet? What are you trying to say? And you know, the, people forget songs now so quickly because they really don't stand for anything. And, you know, if you look back at like the greats, uh, I mean, there's a lot of greats. I mean, I don't want to, you know, tune anyone's horn. Necessarily. But I'm sure that you grew up on some greats that have obviously stuck with you. And what are some of those great artists that have really impacted your musical career? Well, from a longevity perspective, some people I've always respected is people like, oddly enough, like the Beatles and Billy Joel, you know, yeah. like th think about it, you know, some, some of these, the Beatles have been gone for years not saying that they you know that if you look at spotify monthly listeners you know they're they're still trending decent you know there's not you know there's there's a bit of a loss happening now i think with new music being over you know overtaking and uh there's just so much more of it these days that the algorithms just trying to feed that to it but there's all these amazing songs from the decades of before that still ring true maybe it's because there was less competition back then maybe it's because they've had a lot more time for the songs to churn in people's ears and now they're just accustomed to it and now there's like what i would like to call standard tunes but okay. at the same time yeah. they're great songs and they're there's still great songs being made today i'm not saying that there isn't great right. music coming out today there's some amazing tunes that will definitely be remembered for decades and maybe even centuries to come um, but my big take is, is that a lot of the music today, there's a lot more supply than there is demand. And there's so many artists making songs. I, I forgot Spotify, like released a thing saying like, I think it's like a million songs a day are being uploaded. To yeah, exactly. Like it was like 0.3 seconds. There's a song always dropping. So since I just farted right now, a song just got uploaded to Spotify literally instantly. <laughs> I mean, isn't yeah, that no, kind of insane? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so you, you get what I'm trying to say. And like, I just, as much as it's cool to have that barrier of entry to be an artist, uh, you know, happen, because I do believe that anybody should be given the freedom to at least try to become an artist. But in terms of the quality of the music that's out there and what's really pushing the envelope, it's very far and few between. And I guess that's what I mean by when I say an age genre. Um, I, I look forward to the day that people stop having to work for the algorithm, but instead work for themselves. Yes. I preach it <laughs> preach it my man we definitely need more artists with your kind of mindset going into the business and i mean since we're kind of parlaying you know the music industry into this kind of conversation what have you learned from the music industry that no one told you about 
Ooh. <laughs> There's so many things I would like to say that I cannot say at this time, but I would say <laughs> because of what? Because the new backing ventures that you got associated yeah, with the new just, LP. There's a, of, there's a lot of things I just can't disclose at this time, just for just a lot of different reasons. Um, some of them. Okay, fine. Uh, but, then I guess we'll revisit with you a year from now. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, no, but like I'll say this: uh, it's a jungle, and. You just got to not let it wear you down. It's a marathon, not a race. And, you know, it's, I would say, be, stick true to your music instead of trying to cater and pander to the industry. You know, there's a, there's a lot that, you know, I feel like it's lost in these days and gets washed over because it's all about how many TikTok followers you have. Yeah. Are you trending? You know, what's your social engagement? But I do feel like, you know, the industry is a hard place to navigate in general. And it's just, you have to find your people, you have to find your community and you have to find people you trust. And now I'll, I'll say this in the music industry, it's a land of vultures and thieves. So you have to be very careful about who you trust. Gotcha. And I think that, yeah, I think that's a great message to definitely transcend to the rest of the off the fret listeners. And the next track that we're about to be playing is your standalone single suffocating. And why did you do a single and not place it on your record? Was it a time issue or was it for something like, uh, you know, I was kind of uh, smacking this around with my producer because I really wanted to kind of understand where your mindset was at. And I re I recently uh, saw that Beartooth, I don't know if you're ever familiar with that I band, but them, they yeah. released a standalone single called Riptide. And I kept thinking, oh, the only reason why they did a standalone single was to kind of explore their softer sound that maybe their listening audience is not used to Caleb singing like that. So is that how you approach a standalone single or is it com something completely not what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, no, you're you're kind of close. I mean, at the time, there's a lot of things going on. Um, I signed a distribution deal with a with a different company, and I wanted to see how like one release would go about with that company. But at the oh, same okay. Time, it was also there's a lot of things, but the, also on top of that, though, it was testing something new, something a little bit darker that was not necessarily what the initial debut EP had, um, and seeing how people felt about it. And then on top of that. I was also in the process of introducing new members to Anson. And that was actually one song that we all worked on together. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So there was, there was, you know, a hand, like there was a, a guy named Rob and a guy named Niles and another person named Evan who helped me write the arrangement of suffocating, not the song uh, lyrics or melody, but the, the, right. Right. So I was like, let's go in the studio and just, you know, try this out and see what happens. And it was really cool what happened together. But after that, it kind of all, dissipated so that was kind of like another reason why it was like this standalone standalone single okay well that all makes sense and what was the message that you wanted to convey to the off the fret listeners when they listened to this track suffocating i was in a really really stressful place and i felt like i was you know i running out of options of things to do and i felt like you know i was suffocating so um I would well, say I think that's a very real thing with a lot of the youth. I mean, now we're hearing more days that people are having that anxiety uh, because of a social media presence. And uh, did that kind of parlay with it or was it oh, something yeah, that sure. was completely different? That's why I'm not very on social media these days. You know, I find it very conducive, uh, very detrimental to my personal mental health. And I just don't find it conducive to human society and a, and a benefit 
there's, you know, there's a lot of good things about social media, about connecting with people, but I honestly feel like there's a lot more negatives than there is positive these days, especially of how exploitative it is um, in many different ways. Um, but well, yes. Stranger Things star uh, Millie Bobby Brown uh, spoke about the dangers of being on social media, and she actually decided to be completely off social media. And yeah. I feel like for an artist like you, you have to rely on, you know, social media, especially with the new Pew Research study that just came out saying that YouTube and TikTok dominates the landscape nowadays so yeah. as much as you hate being a part of it how do you encourage yourself to keep pushing because i'm not gonna lie to you anson when it comes to even the chris collins show i sometimes hate waking up every day and thinking oh shit now i gotta jump on instagram story and tiktok just to be able to give a shout out that we got a new interview going like even that becomes a burden so how do you kind of knock out those cobwebs and get back into moving that soul train <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've been really debating about this for quite some time. And I don't know, I, I personally, it's a balance. I think that, you know, the algorithm, though, sir, likes consistency. And so it's been like this weird thing of like, okay, how do I kick this back up? How do we make this consistent? And I'm still trying to figure, figure that out. But there's a lot of cool things happening with AI these days that are making things a lot easier for content creation. So maybe there's a world in that. But honestly, I honestly could care less about social media these days. I I don't I do agree that we need it, but there is a world I feel like where we don't necessarily need to cater entirely our lives, our whole lives, the hours spent creating content and doing this to to make a following. I think that good music does prevail. There's there are some there are a lot of artists out there. Very I mean few fewer than people who are just constantly you know posting you know, constant barrage of content, but yeah. there are some that are just making music and it just is good. And the algorithm's favoring it on Spotify or wherever have you, and they have, you know, the right people in the right places that are pushing it and it's successful. So I think it's a, it's a mixture. Um, well, to BD on that one, I'll get back. To Absolutely. That. Hey, no problem with that one. And let's let the music speak for itself. This is Anson's standalone single and music video, Suffocating, live on Off the Fret. Cause I've been high. 
Anson's music video, Suffocating Live on Off the Fret. And Anson, uh, let's discuss some industry talk because Beyonce have confirmed, has confirmed that she will remove an ableist slur from her new song, Heated, just weeks after Lizzo removed the same word from her song, Girls. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I can't remember a time in history where people are calling for the change of lyrics in music. And would you change your lyrics if you received backlash like Beyonce? It would really honestly depend on the lyric. You know, I, I tend to put a lot of thought into my lyrics before they ever reach, excuse me, I, I, listeners' ears. So it would really be very situational. But there's a lot of people out there these days that are trying to cancel people. And I, there's a lot of anger and I, I really just don't understand, um, you know, like it's music. <laughs> when did, when did music have become this thing that people take so personally? Um, so that's kind of my take. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I feel like, you know, to follow up on this, do you feel like Beyonce is either tone deaf or do you feel like the world has gone too sensitive? Because uh, when I read the song, you know, when she was, uh, you know, singing spazzing on that ass, spazzing on that ass, I clearly was like, I think we all know what she means. It's like literally a dude that's getting Beyonce's ass twerked on his genitals. Okay. That's how I took it. And he is spazzing on that ass. All right. It, it's funny. Right. But there's a small community in the disabled community, which I totally understand. You know, oh. when you use that in a slang, yeah, it's totally unacceptable. But I think we all knew because like the last I recall, spaz used to be like, oh, man, that, that guy's spazzing. That guy's going crazy. Like it never was meant as a derogative slur. But nowadays in the year 2022, people feel that way. And do you feel like Lizzo had to jump into action all quickly because of, you know, for example, she's nominated for a Golden Globe for her new show that's been airing. And Beyonce has got a career span of like this. When Lizzo <laughs> is just getting started, hers is like this. So do you feel like people like Lizzo had to speak out and immediately jump on it compared to like Beyonce? It took her like three days to change the lyrical content. And she has songwriters for her album. So where were the backlash for people to go after the songwriter and Beyonce if that was truly the case? So I guess what I'm trying to get at, is she tone deaf with how the music industry is moving? Or do you feel like she should have stayed her ground and just said, this is the music, just live with it? I honestly am unsure. I mean, Beyonce is, I would say, one of the most pivotal artists of our time, you know, uh, from, from a genre perspective and how long of a career she's had. She's definitely influenced so many people and society as a whole. Um, you know, three days you mentioned that that's something that stuck with me for a second, because you know how long it takes to re-record a lyric, have it be mixed and mastered and then distributed to, you know, a streaming platform. Probably, I would say, even if everyone was going at, at the speed of light, it's like as fast as they go. And, you know, three days is probably around about, you know, right, you know, so. Yeah, you know, that's true. And I'm not, and I'm not really familiar necessarily with the situation as much as I would like to be. So I'm not I would say I'm not as informed, but. Fair enough. Uh, you know. I think that people like to jump on the hype train and like to create controversy. And that's something that, you know, maybe behind the scenes, maybe there's something else going on that I don't know about. This has happened. This has been widely done a lot in the music industry, create controversy about something, let it blow up. People are aware of it. People listen yep. to it. So maybe that's something that's going on. I don't know. Um, but, you know, 
I would say the one thing I would say is music is it's what do you make of it and and you can't take it that seriously you know like there's if you don't like the song just hit next you know there's there's millions millions of other songs out there right now and you know whether Beyonce should have stayed her ground or not I don't necessarily can say I think that's up to her uh and her belief system and and her view of how her fans reacted to it but Anson the next song that we're about to play is the live rendition of Runaway during your takeover streaming concert celebrating the release of your first LP a note for you to find where you sing in the chorus quote and I've tried changing praying my life's not wasted driving through this town I've hated hoping I'll run away so what's the backstory oh man okay this is my last job I worked at. Um, uh, I was working just so often, you know, the nine to five grind. And, you know, while LA is not a town, you know, like it took me back to a lot of those pop punk songs where everyone's just talking about hating their town. It's just a thing. Every year. You know, <laughs> right, right. You know, I hate this thing. town. It's so messed up. Generic pop punk song out there. But, you know, like I really. That song has a lot of truth in it and things that I still feel to this day. Um, you know, I feel like. You Do know, you think it's dangerous to stay stationary? Like where people are so afraid to leave their hometown. Cause like, honestly, like even during the Chris Collins show days, like we're even exploring options and like possibly this show might be shipped off into another state. And sometimes I'm so fearful for that because I'm so used to being close to my parents and my family and friends. And like, do you think like, yeah, you have to crawl out. You got to get away from what's making you what you are today. I think that to be static and to stay the same is not only impossible, but also will be detrimental and fatiguing to your life. You know, constantly moving, constantly making new ideas. Cause the second you stop is the second that frankly, you know, you start to see yourself get deprecated, you know, like that's why I feel like that's why, like, for example, my mom, uh, she just recently retired and, uh, you know, she's constantly working still. She's just still doing things. And I think that the reason why is because you got to keep your brain alert. You got to keep yourself going. You have to have something to live for. So, you know, and getting outside the box and getting out of your comfort zone is something that I'm always trying to do because um, I think it makes you better. It makes you more diverse. And you really learn from those situations about what you like in this world and what you don't and maybe expand yourself in ways that you never really knew existed. So, yeah. And have you felt like you ran away? (laughs) I'm getting there, Chris. I'm getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. But hey, let's let the music speak for itself. This is Anson's live performance of Runaway from his takeover event that's available on his YouTube channel. But you're going to see it here right now on Off the Fret. More music, more music talk. So let's roll the clip. Take over how we feel tonight. Just a different day I've tried to change 
live performance of runaway and you can check out that song on his youtube channel along with the rest of the live performances from that event and how did that get started because i loved that during the pandemic a lot of artists like motionless and white i can think about lamb of god falling in reverse that i referenced earlier they all did sort of like this metaverse or either live performance in a digital format for their fans so how did you get inspired to start this I, that's a great question. Um, man, I saw the pandemic was just weird and I hadn't, I hadn't have done a show in a long time, like a real show. So I was like, okay, how can I do something for this new album release? That would be something that people can latch on to for a long time coming. Maybe I don't do many shows, you know, and, uh, I wanted to give them an experience. So that's why I did, did it. But, uh, what really kind of took it off the ground was, um, uh, a friend of mine, Ben Harper, who used to be in a yellow card, um, who owns Takeover Live. Um, shout out, Ben, if you're watching this. Because, That's so uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, he, he could, I couldn't have done it without him. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do something where the album is celebrated. So, you know, we did the full album front to back, full band, you know, the, the works, the lights, the visuals. And it was something that I've never really done before as a as a artist, having this very full 
you know, all everything you would ever want from an artist um, from that experience of a, of a show. So, um, and it was cool to be able to also reach fans in different parts of the world, you know, globally, you know. Yeah, just, big time. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just doing things in the United States. It was reaching out to fans in, you know, Europe and Asia and just other, all these other places. So it was truly a um, memorable and pivotal moment for me that I'll never forget. And I'm just really grateful to have that experience. Is that something that, you've thought about doing with your second LP because I know Andrew Schultz he's an awesome comedian that's blowing up this year and he always likes to pride himself to saying quote I'm doing the very first pay-per-view comedy stand-up because a lot of his jokes were not allowed on I believe it was Netflix that turned him down for a lot of his jokes he's like I'm not removing the content I'm just not doing that I'm gonna release it on my website I'm gonna drop this as a quote-unquote pay-per-view and have you thought about doing that with your second LP where people can pre-order for this live show and if you missed the live show you got 48 hours to check out the live rendition of this untitled second lp that anson's got in the works yeah no um was there a question in there I well i was sort of saying like will you revisit this idea of oh, an yeah, online totally. concert <laughs> oh for sure for sure you know i really like the concept of it it went really smoothly i mean there was some hiccups back back end that we were like, oh my God, is this show even going to happen? There was like a couple moments where we're like, oh my God, do we have to cancel this show? From like a tech, <laughs> tech couple That would ago. suck. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was super scary. But honestly, I'm grateful for everyone who played with me on the show. I'm grateful for the crew that was there um, and everyone who made that thing possible. And it was, and everyone who came and, and made it such a cool experience. It was something that I will cherish forever. And I, I wish in the moment I was more, um, in the moment because i was oh I stop was, it i mean anybody yeah. that just saw that performance just now knows that you were very much in tune in the moment i mean i felt that energy i wanted to yeah, be in the no, room <laughs> yeah, no, well, i guess what i mean is like you're there and you know it's a big moment and i i wish that there was ways that you could savor it more in those little you know those little but I, I always feel like sometimes that like you know you, there's this big awesome thing happening and then you're like man, I wish I could just be in this moment just for a little longer, just so I can remember it a little bit more and just uh, be washed over by it or something, you know, like truly. Well, I think maybe one of the missing elements is not having a live audience while you're there and you got yeah, like a camera Yeah, that's a crew. big one too. But <laughs> I, I still would do it again, you know, like it's cool to have that documented. It's cool to have shared those moments with people. So it would definitely, I definitely think we would have it again. That's totally cool, man. And I know, uh, let's switch topics because I definitely want to uh, talk about your first LP, A Note for You to Find, where you describe this record as an extensive look into your personal life and journey. And how so? Because uh, it seems like every yeah. record that you have is a new chapter in your world. That is very true. No, it's it's very much fully encompassing who I am as a person in my life. Um a note for you to find was a little bit of a darker era for myself. Um, just the topics that are about in that. And then um, just what was going on at the time, a lot of just still trying to find my identity. I think, you know, from a, from a first LP standpoint, I think that it's definitely something I'm still proud of, but, you know, looking back on it, I think that there's still a lot of room for growth. Um, the, the experience itself was kind of a painful one, uh, you know, getting it all down on paper um, I think that that is something that, uh, you know, at the time I feel like was a bit of a struggle. And then honestly, looking back now, the reason why I'm kind of changing up the formula of what I'm doing is because I wasn't very happy with my recording process um, mm. during that time period. But um, And what's different now with the second LP that you're liking more than from the first time you jumped in with the LP, your first LP, I know for you to find. 
having a little bit more of a of a creative say on some of the arrangement stuff like charlie who i'm working with right now is is, is an amazing producer he just goes with the flow he goes with what works and he's very passionate and he's been able to really make this a really pleasurable experience um all around it's been a pleasure working with him it's been fun you know and that's something i would say is a word that's like you know with every album i'd like to say it's been fun or with every music thing i do it's been fun but a lot of times it actually hasn't been and i think that that's one of the biggest elements of this next stuff that i'm doing that i really enjoy is actually enjoying the process um but a note for you to find was just a being within itself, you know, I, I realize now um, it was just a darker place of my life and I, I'm, I'm happy to not be there anymore. So <laughs> have you found that certain songs from that record are hard for you to sing because it was such a dark time in your pivotal career? Yes and no. I think it's more of like, I just don't really like, I'm going to be honest. I don't really like the, the album as much as I thought I would, you know, I really? put a lot of work into it, many hours and years into it. And it's, it's kind of not my favorite. There's a couple songs that I really fuck with, but outside of those, it's not entirely my favorite. And that's why I'm working so hard on this next record to make it exactly what I want to be remembered for. Are so. you going to be exploring some of the same sounds that you had with the first LP or is the second LP really going to branch out into a new frontier that no one has heard or listened from Anson Lee? Yes and no. Um, it is, I would say it's maybe a little bit more alt-rocky, um, okay. but, but at the same time, instead, instead of less dark and hardcore rock maybe, but this this is it's still Anson. It's just a little bit more refined in a way that I feel will fit the music a little bit more. I, you know, I think what Anson is saying today, I think is so self-explanatory and let's go ahead and show the listening audience what's good by playing Anson's live music video, Tightrope, live on Off the Fret. I walk on a tightrope, praying for an ending. I can't keep pretending
Anson's live music video, Tightrope, and you can check that out on his album, A Note for You to Find. And Anson, before you leave, I want to read this tweet from Tory Lanez, rapper Tory Lanez, that he wrote a year ago. And you were sort of touching on this same, uh, same tone or matter. It's crazy, quote, music hasn't actually been sticking lately. Like all of our favorite artists, music is not lasting with us longer than four to five months. Real music must come back into play, real emotion, less repetitive and redundant. And how is Anson doing that with the new music and your work? Yeah, I, I'm definitely bridging that gap. I mean, and breaking that mold. I, I There's a lot of new songs I can't wait to share with everybody. Um, and I, I'm trying my best to do that within my own different way. Um, I agree. Music's been very cookie cutter for a bit. Like I mentioned, fast food. So I'm hoping that this next music that I release is, uh, at least for everybody else, find that it's not that. And when can we anticipate to hear new music from Anson? I mean, do you have a road map? Come on. You got to yeah. like tease some of the audience right now. They made it this far in the oh, interview. Yeah, they made this they far. need to okay. know what's um, good. <laughs> there will be three new songs. Uh, I don't know when they're going to be released necessarily, but it'll be the first three, like right now I'm in the, in the, in the studio recording the first three songs of the album too. So um, It's going very well. Um, we're almost done with them. They should be wrapped by the end of month. And, you know, we'll see where they lead from then. Um, but like I so mentioned- So like wintertime, new year, like what, what are you thinking? I mean, the goal, I think the goal is for new year. That's like the okay. real push. Is so like, just sit tight, fam. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've been toying around with this idea of releasing a song or- I mean, we'll see if I can. I mean, there's enough songs, but like a song a week for a year. But that would be okay. a lot of music. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Well, I, I mean, you've, you've explored cover tracks in the past. Maybe you could do a mix of both, you know, kind of. Well, give I people... have enough. I have enough originals to, to cover that. You know, holy moly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I say I have enough songs that I've written for this new album that could technically cover that. Will it happen? Who knows? But, you know, we'll find out. Hey, well, you definitely got to follow Anson wherever you are, are on audio streaming services and social media today. And thank you again, Anson Lee, for joining Off the Fret. More music, more music talk. Make sure to check out Anson's most recent album, A Note for You to Find, out on all audio streaming services. And where can the listening audience uh, follow you on social media? Uh, Anson Official. All the user handles are that, so... If you know how to spell official, you're good to go. You know, Let's get it, baby. You're good. So, um, yeah, check me out. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Chris, for having me on, man. Hey, rock and roll, and thank you again for joining Off the Fret. Peace. <laughs>